0: Covered California knows that one moment can change your life. That moment you say, I do. That moment you meet your baby for the first time. Or even that moment you lose your job and your health insurance along with it. For those times when life changes, we've got you covered. Covered California lets you choose from brand name health plans. And you may even get help paying for it. Your enrollment period is limited. So find out if you qualify by getting free expert help at CoveredCA.com today. Covered California. It's more than just health care. It's life care. We see the news that teen vaping's on the rise, but teens see something else. Internet videos that talk up fun flavors and downplay the dangers of nicotine. How can parents talk so kids will listen? Use facts. One, nicotine can rewire teens' brains. Two, it can make kids more anxious. Three, changes to the brain can be permanent. So even when it tastes like candy, nicotine is brain poison. Go to flavorshookkids.org for more do my thing I want to get into it man you know like I you know I'm the man don't you can I count it off
1: one two three four you're listening to the church politics podcast with Michael Ware and Justin Gibbony, where you can get in-depth political analysis from a Christian worldview transcend partisanship and political ideology with us as we seek true discipleship in the public square
0: I'm scolding the ways of runaway slaves. I'm brave. I'm unchained. I'm Frederick Douglass with a fade. i that left...
2: This is the Church Politics Podcast with Michael Ware and Justin Gibney. Justin, it's another week. How are you?
1: I'm doing good, man. So many things have happened uh, since the last time. It was just the two of us. We had a great interview with uh, Pastor McKissick. Uh, but since we just last spoke, man, I, uh, the AND campaign, you know, we're on our frontline discipleship tour. We were in Chicago. Uh, with with dr dates and then we went
0: you'll do it right to grow the best garden you can lowe's does it right too with savings on miracle grow potting mix with fertilizer to help you get growing and grow plants twice as big versus unfed plants pick up a 50 quart bag now for just ten dollars plus get bonnie 2.32 quart vegetables and herbs three for ten dollars for a garden that's worthy of showing off do it right for less start with lowe's Offers valid through six five while supplies last. U.S. only excludes Alaska and Hawaii.
1: To Minneapolis with Nick Hall and Cross Dean, uh, the Pulse Movement and the Man Up uh, Club, and so we've been having a good time just spreading the message. Uh, so no complaints here, bro. But I was excited to get a chance to sit down with you in D.C. and talk some uh, talk some policy with some other folks.
2: Yeah, that was great. We were at the Center for Public Justice. Uh, and they just do incredible work here in D.C., and it was it was good to see you and good to see some other friends. Um, uh, this Tuesday, as you know, I'm going to be in your neck of the woods. I'm with the That's Trendy right. Forum uh, with LaCrae for an event on civility at the Carter Center. So for uh, folks that are in Atlanta on May 15th, uh, I'd love to see you out. It's going to be a great uh, a great event. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And it's actually, uh, it's the day before my birthday. So people can wish me a happy birthday out there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that too. That too. That's good, man. I'm, I'm looking forward to that conversation. The Trinity, uh, forum does some great work. This, I think will be my third event going there. And so, uh, it, it's never let me down. I'm looking forward to it, but let's go ahead and get into this conversation. Uh, this was a week where there was quite a few things to talk about and we can t- start with. Uh, the uh, Trump administration has nominated Gina Haspel uh, to be the next CIA director. As many of you may know, Mike Pompeo moved from the CIA from being the CIA director to being the secretary of state after Rex Tillerson Tillerson left. Uh, Haspel was the deputy director of the CIA, and then she moved to acting director upon Pompeo's resignation. But she still must must be confirmed by the Senate. Uh, Haspel is, has served as an American intelligence officer since 1985, and she's conducted several clandestine assignments. She's known as a very she was known as a very talented spy. And so her experience isn't the issue. But then again, her experience is the issue. Her nomination has become a con- has become controversial because of reports that she oversaw an overseas operation where detainees were subjected to torture specifically in Egypt, Jordan and Syria in the early 2000s. Now, this torture conversation, Mike, uh, has become a very important one. So one one of the things I want to do is just provide some background. And I was able to read a report by the Center for uh, Ethics and the Rule of Law, uh, which is provided by uh, the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, and it really it was very ho- helpful because it was a thorough report on torture uh, in regards to the Trump administration now. We know that torture um, is illegal pursuant to United States law and international law under the U S law. Uh, we define torture as an act committed by a person acting under the color of law, specifically intending to inflict severe physical or mental pain and suffering, as well as other procedures calculated to disrupt profoundly the sense of personality. Uh, it also It's also illegal to have any conspiracy to commit torture. Uh, Also, the United Nations Convention Against Torture defined torture as an act, as any act by which severe pain and suffering, whether physical or mental, is intentionally inflicted on a person for such purposes as obtaining from him or a third person information or a confession. So we see that. Not only is torture illegal and was that's a good reason to stay away from it, but the U.S. Select Committee on Intelligence uh, not too long ago found that the CIA's use of enhanced interrogation techniques was not an effective means of obtaining accurate information or gaining detainee cooperation. So on one end, you have it being illegal stateside and internationally. Uh, and then another, you know, we have other reports that say it's not even effective. And with all that information, <laughs> we still have a president who in 2017 stated that torture works and he signaled that he's committed to restoring harsh interrogation for detainees. And so that's why this nomination has become so controversial, because you're nominating someone to be the CIA director who's been implicated in torture. And so that's a big deal. Uh, she was also um she was also also allegedly uh, played a part in evidence being destroyed that uh, sh- could have shown waterboarding. So she's destro- You know, it's being said allegedly that she was part of destroying evidence and part of uh, a torture initiative. And that now she's currently refusing to declassify documents uh, that might shed light on what exactly happened during that time. Uh, Before I turn it over, I just want to note one more thing. It's important to say that the Justice Department attorneys during the time when she was over this uh, uh, initiative approved the process of waterboarding. Uh, Now, people would say that the legal analysis through those memos was less than ironclad. Um, And actually, the Justice Department later rescinded those memos. And I believe the Obama administration granted everyone who acted on the basis of those memos uh immunity. So those are just some things to keep in mind. But this has been an ongoing debate and there's some people that really do not want her to take this job because of that history.
2: Yeah, Justin, it's um Yeah the Senate has the right to provide advice and consent on the president's nominees. I I I typically uh give quite a bit of deference to the executive to to make appointments. Uh I'm a little concerned about uh the idea that we would um hold uh, haspel accountable for actions like you said that were uh given by higher ups that were approved by uh the, the legal counsel she was given and that were given at a time when uh, a lot of people in this country were getting the torture question wrong on the other hand this goes to show uh th- the impact of having a president who wantonly speaks about things like torture and illegal activity because he does not have the background or the self constraint to not talk about these things. And so uh, the Senate is left with uh, no choice, but to assert itself in this way. And I think it's going to be a, a, a close, a close vote. Uh, I, I think there's going to be a significant decision. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, frankly i'm i'm a little torn on, on the question uh this is someone who in the past has uh, shown significant uh, support for uh these these techniques for for torture uh on the other hand uh, if president trump is going to place an order for uh uh for for torture if 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 if, if that's the policy of this administration i i don't know how you get a, a director that would Uh, that, that would, uh, that, that would, that would not fall in line with what the president desires. Uh, but this is a, a useful opportunity to hold the administration accountable and, and extract some commitments that it will, uh, uh, they will, it will maintain and and support the current law on the subject. And so, uh, I'm glad that the Senate, uh, in a bipartisan manner is, is pressuring them on this, but it's, uh, it's complicated. It's a reminder of the uh, the history and the fallout of nine eleven and what this country went through uh,
1: uh,
2: in, in the days, months and years after after that attack.
1: Yeah, I think you touched on the tension very well uh, from the outside. It's easy to say, well, how could she ever let this happen? Blah, blah, blah. Well, you had an administration that was in support of it. You had a Justice Department uh, where the attorney said it was OK. It doesn't make it right but it makes it a harder choice than we may think uh, from the outside. And these are things that was going were going on in a culture that may have been very different than what we're seeing today. So I think you're right to really point that out. For me, either way, uh, because she has a lot of experience. This lady has been a very serious spy in some very serious situations and served the U.S. quite, quite a while. Uh, but I think it's very good to make a big deal out of this, yeah, to say, hey, We are very serious about torture because even if you do confirm her, now she knows that nobody's going to be taking this lightly, that all eyes are going to be on her. And she's well forewarned that this isn't going to be something that people are going to put up with. Now, John McCain, who we all know, Senator John McCain, who is uh, suffering, it looks like he, you know, he may leave us uh, soon here. We pray that that's not the case. But he said that he would not uh vote her in as we know John McCain is someone who suffered uh torture and who had been through all of those things and so we take his his opinion on this very seriously upon hearing this uh and and, and correct me if i'm wrong michael uh and i can't remember the name but someone from the trump administration said well he's going to he's about to die anyway and so it doesn't really basically it doesn't really matter what his vote vote would be mm-hmm. uh those words sadly are not surprising coming from this administration still it doesn't take away the fact that it's completely uh inappropriate should never happen but it just goes to show you when you create a culture where people speak like that uh those things come out and now they're saying they're not even going to apologize for the statement mike mike what's your what's your point of view on that
2: well look uh, the the first response is uh Listen at, at, during the inaugural week in two thousand eight, uh, President Obama hosted a di- well. He wasn't even president yet. Incoming President Obama hosted a dinner honoring the life and legacy and contribution to this country of uh, John McCain. That that was an official part of the inaugural ceremony, and this was just a couple months after they got through. Uh, a a pretty tense presidential election campaign uh john mccain is uh a a hero as someone who sacrificed for the country uh as both uh member of the armed services but also uh through his public service since uh and i think it's reprehensible i think it's it's unacceptable i think it shows the 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 sort of self-serving uh parochial nature of our politics in general and of this administration uh, in particular uh, I think Dana Milbank said it very well Dana Milbank uh, had a who, who's a pretty pretty progressive uh columnist can can probably one of the snarkiest columnists uh out there uh, but he wrote a tribute to John McCain in the Washington Post that uh, I I was I was uh, really touched by uh, and Milbank, uh, said that John McCain, uh, was the only candidate he, he could ever see himself working for because of the integrity with which McCain, uh, operated. And so uh, the, the first thing I want to say is that John McCain is not the kind of person that you speak flippantly about because of the weight of his life and of his actions. Uh, the second thing, which is a lesser note, Justin, but, but I do want to point out, uh, just because I think it's it's significant in a broader context is that this was a leaked comment. Uh, so the this my understanding is that this was a comment made to coworkers, and so uh, the the fact that this comment made it out to the light of day uh, is is part of internal turf war retribution making from from trump white house staff and leaks have become pervasive and and, and common in this administration uh, as a as a way to settle uh settle turf wars as a way to settle internal fights in the white house and the media is just kind of thrilled with it and so i want to want to first condemn the remark but second i i do want to say like uh uh, you know, th- this was in, in some ways a-, a workplace comment. Now, yes, that workplace is the White House, but, uh, uh but-, but the fact that comments like this are regularly making it out into press, um, shows a White House that's willing to manipulate the press, uh, uh as individual staffers who no one elected, who-, who no one knows their name, uh, uh, shows that they're willing to use their position of influence to, to manipulate conversations and and I think that's something we need to be careful about as well
1: i agree i'm I'm really sick of all of these leaks number one because they're so self-serving right These people aren't leaking this information to help the American people. they're leaking this information to be spiteful and get back at somebody and that's there's just no room for that. but I'll say in regard to the media and that you know they don't have to pay as much attention to these leaks as they do, right. even the whole conversation about John Kelly apparently saying that, Trump was an idiot or something like that. What was the point of that? What was the point to, of talking about that for a week uh, when it was a leak? where Well, he might have said it or not, but in no way does it help the American people. Maybe it gets a mention, but to talk about that over and over again, to me, just isn't constructive. And so I'd like to not only see an end to the leaks, but see the media be a little more responsible in how they're reporting on some of these leaks that aren't even necessarily substantive. This particularly could have been, and I'm, I'm 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 I hate to hear that that was said in any context, uh, private or public. Uh, but we got to watch out for that. So I'm with you on that one, Michael.
2: Yeah, it, they should apologize. I mean, whether it uh, you know should have made it out or, or not, the easiest thing to do is apologize. And the fact that this uh, it, it, get it over with, acknowledge that John McCain is an American hero, and move on. The fact that they're unwilling to do that is not only uh I think harmful to their political standing, even though this this feud with McCain is pretty long running. but I think it could ultimately affect the Haspel nomination. I mean, if, if they don't apologize, uh like L- Lindsey Graham is not a fan of uh, of torture either. There are other senders who you know, through this disrespect to McCain. Are, n- are not going to be feeling like they need to help out this White House as much as they might otherwise. And so, you know, this could all fit, this could all fit together. I do understand that the staffer called Megan McCain personally, uh, uh, John McCain's daughter and apologized to her. Um, uh, Megan told her that, uh, and this is all reported. M- Megan told her she, uh, should apologize publicly. And a- as of the time of this recording, that has, uh, even though the staffer said she would, uh, uh the staffer has not yet apologized publicly, but, but that phone call took place. Uh, I, I think they just need to apologize publicly, uh, even if it includes a scold of the media for reporting internal conversations, what, whatever they need to do to, uh, uh, to, to not, you know, to, to, to find someone to scapegoat it out on. Um, uh, but, uh, uh but I, I, I think this apology needs to, needs to take
1: place it should have been automatic and public i'm with you on that
2: well uh, justin let's take a quick break when we get back we'll talk about uh the national day of prayer at the white house which included president trump signing an executive order establishing his faith-based office we'll be right back after the break this is the church politics podcast
0: I love my family. I'm best friends with my dad. And then this 2016 election cycle came up, and it really drove a wedge in between some of us. Donald Trump's the first person that got us. He's the first person to actually at least pretend to give a damn about us. Check out Depolarize, the podcast that fights against tribalism and incivility by searching for common ground at the intersection of politics, psychology, and faith. This season, we look closely at the phenomenon of white evangelical support for Donald Trump and the many difficult related questions that are begging to be answered. Two grown men picked him up, a 15 year old kid, and threw him as hard as they could off the hood of the car. Uh, and it's shocking. It's shocking. His whole, all his teeth came out. Uh, he's bleeding all over the place. And they look. They look to us, right? They say, "You fucking This is what happens to you." God isn't far away. God is with us now, here, now. Every moment matters. I don't know why I'm crying. It just, it just hurts. Find Depolarize on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts
2: and we're back at the church politics podcast uh, justin uh, we saw earlier this month uh, president trump uh, host uh, religious leaders uh, for the national day of prayer uh, at the uh, in the rose garden uh, for uh, a pretty significant executive order signing uh, continuing the faith-based initiative that was started by bush continued and expanded by Obama. And now President Trump has once again renamed the office uh and has tinkered with it a little bit. Just for folks' background, the the, the basic background of this office, uh the office operates uh by managing uh, centers in various uh agencies across the federal government. Uh so there's a faith-based center at the Department of Health and Human Services that works to uh, connect with faith-based and other nonprofits around the agenda of, uh, of that agency and to help, uh, uh, form partnerships to serve those in need. There's a center at FEMA that works around disaster relief and connecting to faith-based groups and nonprofits around, uh, delivering disaster relief services. Uh, Department of Justice around prisoner reentry. Now, this is the core work of, uh, of the faith-based office. It was established by George W. Bush, uh, to, uh, what he, uh, called unleashing the armies of compassion. And, you know, more substantively, he wanted to level the playing field so that faith-based groups, uh, could have, uh, help navigating federal bureaucracy, uh, and, uh, have a better time of partnering with the government to serve those in need. Uh, President Trump uh, allowed this office uh, at the White House to remain dormant for uh, the first year and a half of his administration. Uh, but on May 5th, uh, that was uh, the, that was uh, he he moved forward with establishing the office on its own. It will basically operate as previous uh, offices have, with a, a couple exceptions that they're uh, really trying to play up. The the, the first is this idea that uh, agencies that do not have uh, 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 faith-based liaisons in them, that do, or I'm sorry, that do not have faith-based centers in them, will have to assign a liaison that will basically serve as the clearinghouse for faith-based groups at that agency. Primarily, they're talking about Department of Defense, Energy Department, Interior Department, uh these are these are the main agencies that don't have faith-based centers uh and and then uh the the president has charged the office uh with um uh, with with sort of new authority to to serve as a clearinghouse for religious freedom concerns uh operating through sort of a group of advisors that we can uh we can guess will include many of the members of the president's faith-based council so Uh, so, so that's, that's a bit of an overview. I, 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 what I should say is that they don't currently have a, they did not announce a new head of the office. Uh, uh, so unlike the, when the past two presidents announced their offices, no one was appointed, uh, publicly to leave the office or word is that someone will be, um, uh, basically, detailed over or given the responsibility for the office from the Office of Public Liaison, which has raises some concerns. That I'll, I'll, I'll discuss. Uh, maybe we'll get into a bit later, but, uh, Justin, uh, you know, there was a lot of pomp and circumstance around this. It was in the Rose Garden. Uh, they had, you know, a, a whole uh, program rolling this out, and we saw a lot of, uh, sort of the members of the, Faith-Based Advisory Council really trumpeting this as, as a big advancement. Um, what, what did you think of the, the rollout of this office?
1: Yeah, well, obviously, both of us believe that the interaction between faith and government, faith and politics is important. And so this gives us an opportunity to really have that conversation. Of course, any interaction between faith, religion and government uh, is going to be limited to some extent uh by the separation of church and state. That said, it's not quite as limited as many would make it. Some people f- feel like the separation of church and state means that they can't mention religion or come anywhere near faith groups or faith groups have no place in uh, consulting the government. And that is far from what the separation of church and state means. I've talked about that over and over, and we may have another opportunity to, to go into that. I'm just hoping that this uh, office and this program is as robust as it should be. Uh, and in the right ways, so let me start off kind of by just uh using the language that's actually in the executive order. So, in this executive order, it says this: uh faith based and community organizations have a tremendous ability to serve individuals, families, and communities through means that are different from those of the government and with a capacity that often exceeds that of the government. These organizations lift people up, keep families strong and solve problems at the local level the executive branch wants faith-based and community organizations to the fullest opportunity permitted by law that's important to compete on a level playing field for grants contracts programs and other federal funding opportunities the faith effort the the efforts of faith-based and community organizations are essential to revitalizing communities and the federal government welcomes opportunities to partner with such organizations through innovative, measurable and outcome driven initiatives. I think that statement is important uh, and why we saw a lot of that through what you were doing, what the Obama, Obama administration is doing. I do think there are some elements on the left that would have a problem with some of that lang- language or even with faith based organizations having that level of participation yeah. in government. Uh, yeah, I think we, that's we fair to say <laughs> uh,
2: the question. I said we heard. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's right. That's I'm sure you did. I'm sure you did. Uh, The question is, what does this look like when 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 it all gets fleshed out? Um, I'm you know, the language I really like in this is the conversation that really shows how strong of a mediating institution, the church and faith based organizations can be. I think that's important. Where I part from some people on the left and in the Democratic Party is basically what was stated in here that in some areas, I believe mediating institutions like churches and faith based organizations can do things better than the government can do. That doesn't mean they can do everything better, but in certain circumstances, they're better fit to respond to the community's needs because they're part of that community and they don't have all the red tape and all the other stuff that goes into the government actually providing the assistance. That's not true in all cases. They may not have the same resources and may need some of the regulation. But in many in many cases, I think mediating institutions and churches can do a better job. So I want to say off top that that language within the executive order, um, I understand and I get quite a bit. Again, it doesn't tell us all that much. We don't know how this will be applied. We don't know how this will be funded. We don't know uh what type of uh, information they'll they'll receive from. um Well, I, maybe the better way to put it is what information they will actually uh, or right. advice they will actually follow from these groups. One of the things that we saw that, that that this executive order contemplates is that faith groups will be consulted about issues like poverty alleviation, religious liberty, strengthening marriage and family, education and solutions for substance abuse. All those things sound great. So based off the executive order, it's hard for me to say, oh, this isn't going to be good. This isn't enough. I don't know. You're, you're more experienced on what this should look like. But that one paragraph, if it actually turns into what it should be, was promising. And there's some things that I could pull out of there, even as a Democrat to say that's good. That doesn't mean that it'll be administered in that way. And I think you may be in a better position to say whether this looks well, look, uh, as good as parts of it may me. sound. But
2: first, um, The executive order that Trump signed uh, strikes religious liberty protections uh, that uh, President Obama put in place that were a result of a broad bipartisan consultation uh, through his faith based office. Uh, One thing that we learned when we came in, or one thing that we, that we really confronted when we came in was just the lack of uncertainty among faith based groups about what the, and gov, and government about what the lines were. And so you had, uh, government officials who weren't engaging with faith at all because they thought that was demanded by the separation of church and state. You had faith based groups who, uh, who, who did not think that they, uh, could partner with the government in any way because the, uh, because of church state separation. Uh, and so it really wasn't a helpful, to have a lack of clarity. And uh, President Obama signed an executive order uh, 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 clarifying some of these, uh, uh, what it means for the government to partner with faith-based groups uh, to deliver social services. Melissa Rogers, who was the head of the faith-based office uh, during President Obama's second term, uh, uh, has a op-ed out just this morning. uh, uh, So on Monday, May 14th, uh the headline in the washington post is, president trump just unveiled a new white house faith office it actually weakens religious freedom and i think i think melissa is is right here a lack of clarity actually gives uh uh actors who are antagonistic to religious freedom a lot more space to play around and and a lot more flexibility to uh, to intimidate and sort of freeze out faith-based groups. And so so that concerns me. And then just the second thing I'd say, Justin, is uh, I just don't think we should be na- naive about the fact that uh, they've decided after 18 months of, uh, or I guess just short of 18 months, uh, 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 the first about year and a half of the administration, they've decided to uh, allow this office to remain dormant. And now, just six months before the midterm elections, uh, they've decided to strike up this, uh, this, uh, faith-based initiative, understanding that they need, uh, to boost evangelical turnout. Uh, and so I am concerned, uh, that this office is going to be used as sort of a platform for, uh, religious politicking. And I think we need to be careful about that. The, the last thing I'll say, Justin, is, Uh, there are so many good people working in this initiative across the federal government. And no matter who's in office, they're doing incredible work, uh, equipping and partnering with religious groups to serve those in need. Many of them are friends. Uh, Some are new to this administration. Uh, but, but many served in the Obama years and even the Bush years. So I would just encourage people, uh, to, to, to pray for these folks. Uh, that are working in uh, sometimes difficult circumstances. Uh, some of them are working in offices that, you know, still aren't, uh, their agencies still aren't staffed up. Uh, and so they're doing the best with the resources they have to serve, uh, the country and serve faith-based, uh, uh organizations and other nonprofits. And so, uh, would, would urge people to, uh, to, to pray for them and then to understand that, uh, that, that, Uh, Not everyone working in this administration or not everyone sort of involved is, uh, you know, a political actor (laughs) who uh, is completely sort of uh, tied up in the politics. Again, these are people who would be serving uh, in these offices no matter who was elected. And so that's an important thing to remember. If there are opportunities for you to support uh, these faith based centers, for instance, uh, just last week, the faith based center at HHS held a. Uh, seminar on mental health that Kay Warren, uh, out of Saddleback and Kelly Rosati, formerly out of Focus on the Family participated in. And, and that's, that's good work that's going to help people. And so, uh, you know, I, I have some political concerns about this office and this president. Uh, but the initiative still is doing uh, great work. It needs to be supported in that work, uh, through uh, a strong executive that's, uh, that's doing what it should be doing to support the initiative in a way that's uh, you know constitutionally sound, but also needs to be supported by
1: us through prayer. No, that's very good. Uh, you, you make some good points there. Number one, that there is a limit to the interaction that faith groups can have with government and politics. Uh, there's a limit based on the Constitution. Um, and so we support those limits because we don't want to impose on people of other religions of people, people of other faiths. And so those are, that's a, a very important point to make. So what I hear you saying in some way is that this needs to come along with guidelines and having these guidelines is actually beneficial for both sides. Uh, so l- let's, let's hope that someone says, Hey, let's make sure that we draw these lines clearly because unless you have clear lines, you can't be as effective as you need to be. And you made a great point in that regard, we want people to be confident in how they engage uh, the faith. We want the government to be confident in how they engage the faith community and the faith community to be confident in how they engage government so that they can do it to the best of yeah, their ability exactly and right. help people. Well, I'm glad well, you made we're, that. Point. We're
2: going to be talking more about this office. We may be having some guests to discuss it because uh, because it'll be important to the functioning of uh, the government as it relates to the faith community uh, in in the months and uh, the years ahead. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Uh, we're, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to be discussing, uh, this administration's decision regarding the Iran deal, uh, childish Gambino's video and an interesting column from Arthur Brooks. This is the church politics podcast. We're back at the church politics podcast. Uh, Justin, uh, last week, the decision that many of us had been, uh, awaiting for, for a long time, uh, came president Trump, uh, decided to effectively pull out of the Iran deal by, uh, by supporting, uh, reimposing sanctions, uh, on Iran and, uh, reneging on, uh, the, the, the commitment that was made. Uh, this was after extensive lobbying from, uh, Macron, from the UK, uh, uh, from, uh, Chancellor Merkel, who all who put out a joint statement uh, uh, after Trump's decision, Justin, it's uh, it's one of those things uh, that is that was predictable uh, in the sense that this did not come out of left field. President Trump ran against the Iran deal, and in and in, in a, a major way, this is Trump following through in a commitment he made to the American people during his campaign. Uh, on the other hand, a, a lot of foreign policy experts are looking at this, even those who oppose the Iran deal when it was put in place, and saying, you know, now that it's been active, uh, now that it's been in place, now that we uh, don't have a proof that it's been violated on Iran's side, uh, that it, it's a mistake to pull out of an agreement, not just because of the the details of the Iran agreement, but because it. It weakens America's word uh, moving forward, uh, particularly as we start to engage North Korea. Uh, Just, uh, uh, do you think that it was smart of Trump to, uh, to pull out of the deal? Do you think he has sort of a bigger, uh, bigger uh, picture in mind, or, or do you think it was a mistake?
1: I think it was a mistake. Um, I don't think it is a mistake that we can't recover from. Uh, they say they're saying that they're open to doing a different deal. That's a better deal. Uh, the problem with that is there's other partners that involve involved with that. And so when you uh, go into this type of deal with a group and then you move out unilaterally, that just becomes a problem. And so I don't think it was the best uh, choice, although this was somewhat of a flawed deal. And I think a lot of people have been able to admit that now, just and we've talked about this before You you hit it on the head. He ran on this. So none of this should be a surprise, but it's important to recall the objective of this deal, just so we're all on the same page. And the objective really was to halt Iran's nuclear program. And they were halting this program in exchange for removing economic sanctions on Iran and those who do business with Iran. And so some of the things that you saw was that Iran would go from two twenty thousand centrifuges uh, to just over five thousand. That's significant. Their uranium stockpile would be reduced 98%. That's significant. Um, and so there were some things that were done here that people said, yeah, that's, that's n- nothing to just flinch at. But, uh, other people said it just wasn't enough. So there were criticisms too, right? Some people said that Iran, you know, they pointed out that they were only rolling back part of their nuclear program. Uh, apparently their ballistic program would still be moving forward. Uh, other people pointed to, uh, the restrictions that were on inspectors. A big part of this was making sure that the UN and others could come in and do very serious uh, inspections of their nuclear program to make sure that they weren't violating the deal. Uh, unless you can do inspections, you really have no way of knowing if that deal is being violated. And then there were others who came out and said that this wasn't the deal that it should have been because Obama didn't get Congress's approval. And so that weakened the deal legally and just generally the credibility because it didn't go through that process. You have people saying different things in that regard on both sides. But the bottom line is now Iran is still saying, look, we'll remain in the deal as long as the other five countries stay in. But everybody still sees it on very shaky ground. I mean, you have this deal, you have these restrictions. But if the U.S., you know, once the U.S. really starts enforcing these these sanctions again, then are you really going to stay in in this deal and kind of be taking the backlash or, or the consequences of those, uh, those sanctions? I don't know. We'll have to see. But we know a lot of people around the world in a way see this as isolating the United States and hurting our credibility. So at the end of the day, I don't think it was the right choice. We can recover, but we have to be very careful about getting out of these deals when we went in with a group and then moving yeah, out I of think, them unilateral i think that's he did my a really biggest good stuff, job problem. Of
2: summarizing the, the pros and cons of the deal it certainly wasn't a perfect deal and part of what the the trump administration is arguing out of this is that they're pulling out of the rand deal uh approves a seriousness to north korea that they're not in this just because they uh in negotiations with north korea just because they want to make a deal uh but because uh, they're in it to, to end North Korea's nuclear program. So they're trying that they, they think it actually bolsters their approach, uh, uh, as they, as they get into talks with North Korea uh, next month. And I mean, listen, we, we haven't mentioned it yet, but uh, last week, President Trump secured the release of three Korean American evangelicals who were held, uh, prisoner in North Korea. Uh, they, they seem right. to be healthy, unlike, several of the previous released prisoners and so uh, uh you know our prayers are with them it, it looks like they're that they're healthy and they'll 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 make it uh but i, I mean uh, but we've tried to say on this show uh we we want to do our our best to acknowledge uh where this administration is is getting uh is getting it right and where they're making progress and north korea so far we got to hold our breath for this summit and how it goes, but uh, th- they've had a pretty successful last <laughs> last few weeks when it comes to North Korea. Uh, if if this somehow turns out with Iran, where Iran stays in the deal, our European partners are able to provide the uh, the accountability they can to Iran. Well, uh, well, America is no longer sort of subsidizing Iran militarily we we'll obviously have to be aware of sort of retribution for that pullout, both from Iran, but also, uh, you, you know, Russia has stake uh, in, in Iran as well. And so there are all kinds of ways this could go wrong. But, there, the, you know, you I, I think we need to uh, be open to uh, uh, and, you know, this comes from someone who supports the Iran deal. Uh, I think we need to be open to the fact that, you know, we don't know how this is going to this is going to turn out if they're able to re- renegotiate. A, a deal that has stronger accountability measures then, you know we'll, we'll have to be prepared to uh to to give them kudos on that and uh you know it'll be for the for the good of the, the country like you said Justin I think the concern is uh that that this will uh, Iran will use this as excuse to move forward with its nuclear program which is the very purpose of the Iran deal uh, to prevent it and so uh we'll we'll, we'll have to see uh, how this moves forward we'll have to see what our european allies do uh but but iran's going to continue to be uh near the center of the foreign policy landscape when it comes to american foreign policy all right Uh with that uh we're going to take one more quick break when we get back we'll talk this is america talk that arthur brooks column that this is the church politics podcast We're back at the church politics podcast and childish Gambino Donald Glover set the internet and many, many hearts of fire with, uh, this is America, uh, the song that he uh, debuted on Saturday night live, uh, the video release, I believe that that night. And it just, uh, prompted, uh, there's reams of analysis and praise and uh it, it was pretty incredible to see all the publications that were offering, you know, multiple takes on this video. Uh Justin, were were you impressed? Were you
1: moved by it? I was impressed. Uh in my opinion, this is quite simply good art. Uh it's art that challenges us, is it exposes uh, our society's shortcomings, and in a way, that's what art is supposed to do. I've been watching uh, Donald Glover's show Atlanta on FX, and he's been able to provide some very creative and deep social commentary. And this video, uh, I think, added to that repertoire quite well. He 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 does that well, and it's good to see thoughtful art. The the thing I like about this video the most because the you you have to see the video, you can hear the song. But the song doesn't tell you half as much about what the message is if you don't see the video. If you haven't seen it, which most of yeah. you, I'm guessing, have just know that you're going to have to watch it more than once. <laughs> You'll probably have to watch it at least three or four times to really get a feel for what he's trying to say. And a lot of times that happens with good art. You know, some of your favorite uh, artists, you have to listen to the, the album uh, a few times before you actually catch on to everything that they are trying to say. And this is an example of that. Uh, from, from my perspective, it really seems like uh, Donald Glover is making a play on how entertainment can distract us from the real issues that are going on around us in this country. Uh, in the video, he's kind of dancing and doing all this other stuff. But in the background, you see some real serious, serious issues going on. But the people are being distracted from that uh, by some of the the entertainment that's in front of them. And uh, to be honest, Michael, I think it has a message for Christians. You know, as Christians, when necessary, we should be able to step away from what pop culture is feeding us and focus in on the real problems that our neighbors are facing. Uh, We can't always be looking to be entertained. There's a limit to that type of escapism and how how distracted we can be with some of those things. So I thought it was strong. Uh, I'll probably watch it a couple more times because I'm sure there's a thing or two that I even miss now. But very good art. And, and it's good that it, he put that art in a way that a lot of people could see it and see that music can be more than just some of the things that we get on an everyday basis. It can really yeah, address just one serious issues in a way in that's America uh, right
2: now And uh, it, he's just sort of like firing on all cylinders. And so when he puts out something, you know, I think there's a responsibility n- now, you know, that, that goes with it. I mean, I think people are expecting, you know, greatness with, with everything he does and you know fortunately for us and for him you know whether it's acting or music or you know social commentary you know this is a man with with something to say and so uh you know i i i can't wait for the album to drop uh i i i really uh uh, have enjoyed his work so far i need to catch up on the second season of atlanta but the first season i mean it was just uh it's just, it's just brilliant TV, uh, in, in a format that, uh, usually does not, uh, you know, that usually does not, uh, provide a forum for, for greatness. And he, he's turned, he's turned that into, a, uh, into something significant. Uh, uh J- Justin, uh, I think the, the last thing we want to talk about this week, uh, uh, is, uh, Arthur Brooks has a column out where he talks about, uh, why do we uh, reward bullies? Uh, and, you know, re- reading this, you know, I thought of uh, you and some of the conversations that we've we've had. And he just says some some really strong stuff here about just the, the human disposition. What 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 stuck out to you about about this column again from Arthur Brooks, The uh, New York Times, May 11th. Why do we reward bullies?
1: Yeah. So Arthur Brooks, who, who, as you know, is the exiting president of the American Enterprise Institute, comes out and says that, look, America's political discourse is dominated by bullies. Uh, and here's a quote. He says, from television to social media to everyday politics at the highest level, we see the powerful belittling, maligning and mocking those with lower status. If we hate bullies, why are they rewarded in the public sphere with fame, attention and even electoral success. Why aren't they repudiated? His answer was that his part of his answer was that people tend to be selective ethicists. That's a good one. Uh, The other side's bullies. Uh, The other side's bully is a horrible person. Does that make you think of anyone? Our side's bully is a truth teller. Man, I think we've seen that quite a bit. (laughs) Yeah, quite quite a, quite a few folks. And and we know, we know at the end of the day the number one bully seems to be the president. Now uh, there are other bullies out there and some bullies right. are just they think they are justified in that they are responding yep. to the bullying of the president and so they bully other people who aren't as powerful as he is. I think we need to look at that. So I just thought this article brought out some really good questions. If we're against bullying, we should be against it for everyone. But do we recognize bullying for other people? You know, part of the something that I thought about yeah. on why we put up with bully bullying from certain people is because no one sees themselves as a bully. You know, in our sociopolitical discourse, uh, we right. many times view ourselves as the somewhat marginalized little guy with heroic aspirations. Yes. Uh, almost every Twitter mob sees itself as a group that's just mistreated, yeah, that yeah. are some mistreated soldiers of the light, really fighting against the demons of society. And when you always see yourself in that that's light, exactly right. it gives you the right to bully. Right. You're not really bullying if you're fighting against Goliath. But in too many efforts, we're seeing Goliath, but not realizing the people and the human dignity that are below what we're seeing as the thing that's marginalized, marginalizing us. And so I think it's always good not to always see ourselves as David, but look in our life and to see where we're being Goliath and where we're being the bully, even when in other areas we are somewhat marginalized. That's, that was yeah, a, a very I, strong I message within exactly this, right. within think, this article. And I think it'd be beneficial our, for all of our listeners to take a our read.
2: Discourse and the way we look at these things is so dominated by sort of, uh, a, a, a power analysis, but there's a, there's a power inherent in being able to bully in the first place. <laughs> and, and if you're able to exert, uh, influence to, um, sure, then, then that comes with a responsibility, uh, it, itself. And so, yeah, I, I, I echo your recommendation of this article. I also think, you know, Brooks is, uh, pointing out that, uh, you know, one of the reasons bullies thrive is just basic uh, sort of acquiescence, uh, acquiescence to, uh, uh, bullies, uh, as just sort of, uh, uh, something that's going to exist no matter, no matter what. And there's nothing we could do. Uh, and I really think that, um, we're seeing a lot of that now as well. So again, Arthur Brooks in the New York Times, why do we Reward bullies. I think uh, the article will, will uh, help you all out and provide some interesting fodder for, for conversations. Uh, Justin, uh, well, we, we've, we've made it to the end of what we planned uh, for this week. Do you have anything folks need to be paying attention to as, uh, as the week moves forward?
1: Absolutely. This Saturday, the and campaign and our frontline discipleship tour, we will be in Brooklyn. So if you are in the New York area, New Jersey area, come check out the and campaign. We will be in Brooklyn on Saturday night with brothers like Pastor James Roberson, uh, Roberson, uh, Rasul, Barry, all those guys will be up there. Rich Perez, Pastor Rich Perez is going to be up there with us. It should be a good uh, night talking about it how Christians great. can apply I'm their beliefs in civic and the cultural space. So if you are in the New on, York area, please join Tuesday. us. It's going to be a good time. Uh, it's
2: going to be interesting to see that series develop uh, again on, on Tuesday. Uh, you can, you can, uh, you can DVR the game or just catch the second half who watches the first half of basketball games anyways, and make it out to see me and Lecrae at trendy forum uh, in Atlanta We'd love to see you out there. And, uh, it should be another sort of in- interesting week, uh, in-, in politics. We're, we're seeing, uh, the midterms really heat up. A great article by Michael Schur in, uh, Washington Post, even about the 2020, uh, uh field uh, getting set up. And so uh, I think we're in for uh, a pretty, uh, I- intense, uh, next few weeks leading up to this North Korea, uh, summit. So, uh, stay tuned. We'll be back next week, as always, uh bringing you uh, a view on current events from a Christian worldview. Uh, and we'll we'll see you soon. This is the Church Politics Podcast. Thank
0: you for listening. I'm grooving for the activists and graduates. I'm an advocate for those feeling abandonment in the favelas and slums together ghetto inhabitants. It's like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Say, the only thing good came out of Nazareth. This is the groove. Tell me, man yeah. Ways of runaway slaves I'm brave I'm unchained you'll do it right to grow the best garden you can Lowe's does it right too with savings on miracle grow potting mixed with fertilizer to help you get growing and grow plants twice as big versus unfed plants pick up a 50 quart bag now for just ten dollars plus get Bonnie 2.32 quart vegetables and herbs three for ten dollars for a garden that's worthy of showing off do it right for less start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 6-5 while supplies last U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Hi, I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's largest mortgage lender. Spring is prime home buying season, so if you're thinking about buying a home, right now is the time to lock a low rate, which can save you money every month on your new mortgage. With our exclusive Rate Shield approval, the low rate you lock today is protected for up to 90 days while you shop for your new home. With a Rate Shield approval, if rates go up, your low rate stays locked. But if rates go down, you get that new, even lower rate. Either way, you win. Talk to us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com to take advantage. Here's another great reason to work with us. For a record nine years in a row, J.D. Power has ranked Quicken Loans highest in the nation in customer satisfaction for primary mortgage origination. Again, to lock in today's low mortgage interest rate and get the security of our exclusive Rate Shield approval, call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. For J.D. Power award information, visit jdpower.com. Shield approval only valid on certain 30-year fixed rate loans. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030.